You know, God has blessed us in so many wonderful and marvelous ways. Somebody said, I don't need God. But we're all in need of God. We breathe God's air and we enjoy God's sunshine and rain. Without the blessings of God, we could not exist. No wonder the psalmist said in Psalms 145 and verse 9, The Lord is good to all. That is so true. God is good to everyone. And in Acts chapter 14, Paul said to those at Lystra that the Lord has not left himself without witness, talking about the goodness of God, but that God has given testimony by his kindness, giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Now that's the kind of God that we serve. I don't care where, how we have treated God. God has always been so good to us. God has blessed us with physical blessings. He makes the rain and the sun to come upon the just and the unjust. God has been good to us. God has especially blessed those who are His children. For example, we have been privileged to know about Jesus. Matthew 16, the Bible says uh, that we know we can know of Christ. And if we fail to know of the gospel of Jesus that we can be lost, but we're not in that category. Many in this assembly tonight have known of the Lord and have been obedient to the gospel and do not stand in fear tonight of being eternally punished because of the fact that you've never obeyed the will of Jesus Christ. God has been good to us. Ephesians 1 and 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And God answers prayers. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. But I believe the greatest blessing of all is not the air that we breathe. It's not even a knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that the greatest blessing of all is that blessing mentioned in Psalms 32 and 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. I am convinced that the greatest blessing in all the world is the blessing of the forgiveness of God. The Bible talks about God's goodness to us and about His blessing in forgiveness. In Isaiah 55 and verse 7, Isaiah said that God will abundantly pardon. Not that God is reluctant to pardon. Not that you have to beg and coax God to get into the right frame of mind. And there might be a minute possibility that God will work up to the point that He will be willing to forgive you. But the Bible says He will abundantly pardon. One thing God likes to do. God likes to forgive us of our sins. In the book of Nehemiah, the Bible says in chapter 9 and verse 17 that our God is a God who is ready to pardon. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come uh, to the knowledge of, uh, to repentance. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible said that God would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not want a single individual to be lost. More than 1,900 years ago, God chose the very dearest and most precious thing that He had, and He sent Jesus into this world, and He allowed Jesus to be rejected. Rejected by His half-brothers, not until after His resurrection. 
did ja James and Joses and Judas and Simeon believe in him? They rejected him, at least for a period of time. He was rejected by his own hometown when they were filled with prejudice. And Jesus stood in the synagogue at Nazareth and preached that God loved both the Jew and the Gentile, and they tried to take his life. They became angry at the sermon that he preached that the mercy of God extended not to the Jewish community only, but to the whole human race. And they became aggravated about that. And uh, the Bible indicates to us that God is such a marvelous God that He allowed Jesus to leave the splendors and riches of heaven and come and dwell among us, rejected, rejected by His own apostles, betrayed for $17, 30 pieces of silver by Judas is carried, denied by Simon Peter. Matthew 26, 56 said, they all forsook him and fled. There was a period of time when Jesus stood alone and even God must have gone off. Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then they took our Lord out and they blindfolded him and they slapped him in his face and said, tell us who it was that smote you if you're a prophet. And grown men spit upon him. I can think of few things any more nauseating for one grown man to spit on another man. And yet our Lord meekly took that as a lamb without spot or blemish. He opened not his mouth. He did not retaliate. He did not give of like kind. Our Lord simply endured this. Why? Why did Jesus endure such? Why did our Lord receive the scourging? The word scourging occurs some 20 times in the Word of God. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that some of those early Christians would be cut asunder and some of them would be scourged. There is only one man that we know by name who ever received a scourging in the Bible and that's the divine Son of God. Barclay, the, weak, the liberal commentator, says that many times people uh, who were being scourged would die. Some would go insane. Many would curse and swear, but not our Lord. Our Lord was saying, Father, forgive them. And then they took our Lord, nailed Him to that old rugged cross for six agonizing hours. The blessed Son of God slowly died. He bled to death. Why? Why? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8, God committed His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God is a forgiving God. In the book of Isaiah 38 and 17, Isaiah said that God would put our, our sins behind His back. In the book of uh, Nehemiah or Malachi, the Bible says in chapter 7 and verse 19 that God will take our sins and cast them into the depths of the ocean. In Psalms 103 and verse 12, that He will separate us and our sins as far as the east is from the west. In Isaiah 1.18, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. And occasionally, just like here in Oxford, Alabama, we would have a snowfall. Not very often. And I remember my dad had an old 1935 international pickup truck, mechanical brakes. And I recall in one of those snows that Carlos Kirkpatrick and 
And some of those other guys got out to in that truck and we, some way or another, wound up at the old trash pile. Now, a trash pile is not a place that you commonly visit unless you have something to dump over there. And uh, yet we found our way. And uh, it usually is a very smelly place. Generally, you see fire ascending. You see old, thrown away, dilapidated items, furniture, old cans and things of that nature. But you see what God had done. God had taken His artistic brush and in that snow He had turned that into a beautiful scene. That's what God does with our sins. And Isaiah said, Though that your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's what God does with our sins. And tonight I want to suggest to you that number one, that when God forgives us of our sins, that God forgives us of the penalty of our sins. Isaiah 18 and 20 says, The soul that sinneth it shall die. He says, The Father shall not bear the iniquity of the Son, neither shall the Son bear the iniquity of the Father. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. David, in the long ago, deserved to die. The penalty for committing adultery was death. But God came through his prophet Nathan, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13, Nathan said to David, Thou shalt not surely die. David deserved to die, but God did not inflict the penalty for wrongdoing because of the penitent nature of David. In Romans 6 and 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice please the singularity of the word sin. For the wages of sin, S-I-N, the wages of one sin is death, thanator. That is the word which means separation. That's what death is. Death is the separation of a man's soul from his body. The spirit goes back to God. The body is buried in Mother Earth. That's death. Spiritual death is when we're separated from God. And that's what happens when we commit sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve, as far as we know, only committed one sin, eating of that forbidden fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and God cast them out of the Garden of Eden. As far as we know, the Bible indicates to us uh, that a man by the name of Achan committed only one sin, in the city of Jericho, he stole a Babylonish garment and some silver and gold and hid them in his tent. And it so enraged and brought forth the wrath of God that they took this man, Achan, and they burned his animals and they burned his children and his wife and they burned him after stoning him to death and they piled stones high in order to know that God does not appreciate nor tolerate sin. As far as I know, he committed only one sin. As far as I know, Moses, that great man of God who on three different occasions changed the mind of Almighty God as he pled with God not to start all over with him and to annihilate these people. But on one occasion when God told Moses to speak to the rock, Moses took the rod and not only did he speak to the rock, and say, must we fetch ye water, ye rebels? But he also smote that rock two times. 
And because of this, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. One sin. Only one sin. You know, somewhere or another, we've gotten in our mind that God is going to weigh our sins. And if we've done more good than we have bad, that somewhere or another, we're going to be able to go to glory. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the penalty for one sin is death. One time taking God's name in vain. One time deliberately forsaking the assembly. One time committing adultery. One time stealing. One time gossiping. The wages of sin, S-I-N, is death. Ananias and Sapphira, as far as we know, committed only one sin, and God struck them dead. Nadab and Abihu, the priest of God, committed one sin, and God sent down fire from heaven. Listen, let's not fool around with God. Let's not play with God. God is serious about this matter of sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But when God forgives us, God forgives us of the penalty of sin. We don't have to be separated from God. We can enjoy the fellowship with God. That's the way God is. He wants to forgive you. He longs to forgive you. He loves to forgive. He's ready to abundantly pardon you tonight. Not only does He forgive us of the penalty of sin, He forgives us also of the guilt of sin. One man hired a smart lawyer. The man was guilty. And the, the lawyer got him off because of his skill. And he was allowed to go free. But the lawyer told him, I believe the, the longest day of your life you will remember that you are guilty. Some of us carry around a lot of guilt with us, don't we? But there is no necessity to carry around that guilt. Hebrews 8 and 12 says, Your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more against you forever. God takes His big old eraser and He erases the sin as though we did not commit the sin. I came to the teacher with quivering lips. The lesson was done. Dear teacher, has thou a new leaf for me? I've spoiled this one. She took the old leaf stained and blotted and gave me a new one all unspotted. And into my sad eyes smile, do better, my child. I came to the Lord with a quivering soul. The old year was done. Dear Father, hast thou a new leaf for me? I have spoiled this one. He took that old leaf stained and blotted and gave me a new one all unspotted. And into my sad eyes smile, do better, my child. Beloved, that's what God wants to do. He wants to forgive you not only of the guilt of sin, He wants you, uh, to, uh, the penalty of sin, He wants to forgive you of the guilt of sin, as though you did not even commit that sin, to eradicate it from His memory, not to bring it up again. No more again will He re be reminded of that sin. But I would be remiss tonight to tell you that those sins that are not forgiven will be exposed in the judgment day. Jude verse 15 says that God will convince us that ungodly man of his ungodly thoughts and his ungodly deeds and his ungodly actions. And so there are things perhaps that we are guilty of in our life. 
Maybe things that we don't want anybody else to know. Maybe things done in the darkness of the night. But my friends, one of these days, those sins that are unforgiven, those sins for which we have not sought God's forgiveness will be exposed. Do you want to run that risk? Do you want the whole world to know the things of which you've been guilty? Well, God wants to forgive you. But God will not force His forgiveness upon you. But there's a third thing that God does with us. And that is God not only forgives us of the penalty of sin and the guilt of sin, but God restores us to full fellowship. In the most popular parable that our Lord Jesus would ever tell, He tells about two brothers, the younger of which came to his father and said, Give me mine inheritance. And the father gave him that inheritance. Isn't it amazing that this father gave him that inheritance? Isn't it amazing that God allows us to walk in our own selfish way, to alienate ourselves from Him? Isn't it amazing that God has made us free moral agents as far as our will is concerned? And He will not force us to do His will. And so this young man, some time later, made his way off into a distant land. One day he reached into his pocket to pay a bill and there was no money. No money in his billfold, no money to be found in his shirt pocket, no money anywhere. He looked around for his fair-weather friends, but they were gone. And he didn't have anything he could do but except join himself to a citizen of that country. And that citizen sent him down to feed the pigs. Being a Jewish boy, those swine would have been unclean animals. He had, in all probability, never been around a pig in all of his life. And the Bible says not only did he have to feed them, he would gladly have eaten the husk that they did eat, but no man would give to him. He was in a far land. He was in pathetic shape. That's the way we are when we are away from God. That's the way you are tonight, my sinner friend. Whoever you are in this assembly, you may be having a high old time, but the day is coming when you'll wake up in the pigsty and when your fair-weather friends will be gone and when there's nobody around you except the sweet memory of the love of the Father that you have. And this was the fact that brought him to his senses. And he made his way back toward his father's house. He rehearsed his speech, I do not know how many times, but perhaps numerous times. I know because he said the same thing. It's recorded identical in the text. And he said, I will go to my father and I'll say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as thine hired servant. And as he made his way along, he came near the house. In fact, the Bible says the father saw him while he was a great way off. And he ran to meet him. You see, when that boy left, the light of his life went out. There was an empty place around the meal table. And no telling how many times that father had looked down that winding road to see if the boy was coming home. No, many, no telling how many times God has anxiously waited in an assembly like this, wondering, is my wayward child coming back to me tonight? Will tonight be the night when he will come back and realize how, how horrible it is to rebel against me? And so he ran to meet his boy. Will God run 
And he did run. And the boy started into his speech. Father, I am not worthy to be called thy son. I have sinned against heaven and earth. Make me as a hired servant. And the father didn't pull out the proverbial ball bat and say, I told you so. I told you you didn't need to go off into that land. Now look what you've done. He hollered to his servants, Kill the fatted calf. Bring forth the ring and the robe and the sandals. This my boy that was lost has been found. He was dead and now he's alive again. And there was a party. And there was music and dancing. You know, there's joy in the presence of the angels. That's God. That's not the angels rejoicing. There's joy in the presence of the angels. God is rejoicing when anybody comes home. You say, well, Brother Jerry, you just don't know what things I have done. You don't know how sorry I've been. I know you haven't done deeds like they did on the day of Pentecost or accused on the day of Pentecost of executing God's Son. They had taken Jesus and they had had Him nailed to that old cross. You haven't done anything worse than that. And yet in the response to the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter didn't say, I'm sorry. It's, there's no hope for you. You have committed such atrocious sin, atrocious sins. You have committed such horrible things. There's no hope for you. And so there was music and dancing. And the older brother comes. And he hears this music and dancing. And he calls a servant out. And he asks, what is the meaning of this? And he said, your brother has come back home. And he was angry, and he would not go in. But that didn't keep that boy from not coming home. Sometimes there are those that say, well, you know, what will brother, sister, so-and-so think about me? They've done things just as bad as I have done. But that was not paramount. That was not, the, that was not the concern of this wayward son. And whenever you come to the realization of what it means to be lost and without hope and without God, it doesn't matter how you stack up against anybody in the world. It doesn't matter about anybody else's attitude. The father went out. And he said, uh, what is going on? And he said, your brother has come home. And he said, lo, I've served you these many years and you never killed a fatted calf for me. And when the parable closes, the older boy is lost and the younger boy is right with the father. Brother Jerry, how long do we need to wait before we forgive somebody for what they've done? How long do we need to let them serve and jump through the hoops that we put up? Brother Jenkins, uh, we've got this guy here, he's done some things, and how long do you think it ought to be before we let him read the Scriptures or wait on the Lord's table? Or we have this uh, girl and she's expecting a baby out of wedlock. You think the next 15 years we might, uh, we might forget about what she's done? Or you think 30 years from now we're still going to be bringing it up like the elder brother would? And say, oh yes, I remember her. I remember what she did. 
God isn't like that. God has no second-class citizens. He has no second-rate children. And whenever God forgives you, He receives you back as though you had never committed any sin in all of your life. And there is joy in heaven because of the forgiveness of God. I love Him, don't you? I don't understand how He can be the kind of God He is. But I love Him for being the kind of God that He is. And tonight, if you're in this assembly and you've never become a Christian, repent and be baptized if you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. If you're present tonight and you have not been a faithful member of the family of God, if you can't be moved by the love of God, I, I don't know what else could move you. And if you have no appreciation for the suffering and the anguish that Jesus went through, I want to say this with kindness, but you deserve to spend eternity in hell. If you reject Jesus after all He went through for you, and if you say no to God after all He was willing to give to make it possible for you to be redeemed, you don't deserve to be in His sweet fellowship in heaven. Who will be the first to come tonight? Surely somebody tonight can be moved by God's love to say, I don't care what anybody else does. As for me, I'm going to serve God to the best of my ability for the rest of my life. Will you make your way down this aisle as together we stand and sing? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you wise in the precious souls have responded to the sweet invitation of Jesus. Do you think they made the right or wrong choice? I believe they made the right choice. And you know that's the same choice that you need to make. Now in all probability some of you here tonight have appreciated the love of God and you have a deeper appreciation and awareness of the depth of His love. I'm asking you tonight don't think it'll get easier for you to do the will of God. You'll never have an easier time to make your life right with God than you have tonight. And my wayward brother or sister, I don't care what anybody has done to you or what anybody has said to you. Heaven is worth it all, isn't it? Renounce sin. Renounce grudges and renounce old rotten attitudes and come to the Lamb of God that wants tonight to forgive you of your sins. We're going to sing the next stanza. Make your way down the aisle. Come tonight. Tonight, heaven wants you to obey the will of God. Will you come as we sing? Are you
Beloved, please don't come unless you mean it. But I believe there are those here tonight that are almost persuaded to do the will of God. But you know, almost is not enough. Almost, as the song says, is but to fail. Now there are some reasons that you need to obey the Lord's will tonight. Number one, you may die. When my dad was driving home, he did not expect to have a heart attack and be dead the next morning. He told his Bible class, we'll start at Matthew chapter 9. Some of you have had friends that you had no idea they were going to die. There's the possibility. Are you willing to bet God that you're not going to die before you'll be given the opportunity to obey His will to, like you have tonight? Number two, Jesus may come. Do you know there's no reason why Jesus couldn't come back tonight? What if you knew that the Lord was coming tonight at 10 o'clock? I wonder how many of you that are in this assembly would remain standing right where you are if you knew Jesus Christ is coming back at 10 o'clock. I don't know when He's coming. He may come at 10 o'clock. We need to be ready whenever it is. Number three, there's the danger of hardening your conscience a little more. Every time you say no to God, Every time you turn down the invitation, that's just making it a little harder for you to make your life right with God next time. More rejection and sin of which to repent. But suppose none of these three things happen. Suppose that you don't die. Maybe you live 20 more years. And suppose Jesus does not come back tonight. And suppose your conscience is not hardened by one more rejection. There's a fourth reason. You need to obey the Lord's will. You need to obey the Lord's will because of your influence. There's somebody that's following you. It may be little feet that patter around after you wherever you go. It may be some teenage son or daughter. It may be a wife. It may be a husband. I am convinced that if you're on your way to heaven, you're taking somebody with you. But if you're on your way to hell tonight, I believe that you have somebody by the hand and you're leading them to hell along with you. Now, can you tell me some reasons you need to wait? I've given you four reasons why you need to come. Can you tell me some reasons you need to wait? You know there's no reason. Come tonight. We're going to sing the next stanza of this song. Surely there are others in this good audience who will say, I'll take my stand for Jesus. I want to live for Him to the best of my ability for the rest of my life. Listen, the old devil is voting that you don't come. God is voting for you to come. You have the deciding vote. Which way are you going to vote? Are you going to vote with God or are you going to vote with the devil? Will you come as we see? When the Cleansing blood of the Lamb, of the Lamb. Are you warm and spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb?
washed and with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Man, spotless are they white as snow. Are you what? I want us to sing that last stanza again in just a moment, but let me ask you something. If the Lord should come tonight, would you be happy to meet Him just as you are? I have an idea that there are those here tonight that need to be baptized into Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.12 says that if you are without Christ, you are without God and there is no hope. I know the preacher will preach you to heaven, but God says there is no hope if you are outside of Jesus Christ. And all you need to do is just walk down this aisle, turning away from your sins. Stand before those that love you. And say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And tonight be baptized and go home a Christian. And be able to say, Our Father who art in heaven. And know that God is your Father. Oh, whoever you are. Is there one Father here tonight? One husband that is not a Christian? Is there one wife here that's one wife too many? If there's only one wife here tonight, that is not right with God. That's too many. We are urging you tonight. With many other words did Peter testify and exhort saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. I'm begging you tonight, begging on behalf of Jesus, that you renounce whatever has a hold of you, that you renounce that and give your life to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't know whether I can hold out or not. I know you can't hold out the way you are because you don't have the blessings of God. I preached along this line some while back, about uh, five years ago, and there was a husband and wife in the audience. And they came down that aisle, and they said to me later, don't know for sure that we can hold out or not. As far as I know, they have never missed another Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night service. You know what happened? They'd have made up their mind that they wanted to serve God. That's the issue. The issue is, have you made up your mind that you want to serve God? That's the real crux of the matter. I wonder tonight if there are not others in this assembly who will make up your mind tonight to serve God, not next week or next month. You may be near heaven than you've ever been before. And God has been good to you. Now, if God hasn't been good to you, just stay right where you are. If God hasn't blessed you in any way in your life, just remain where you are. But if God has blessed you, you need to say thank you by living for Him. We're going to sing the last stanza again. Will you come as we sing? <laughs>